Well, good morning. It is so good to see all of you uh, at this busy season. I'm sure many of you are trying to get everything done. You're, you're trying to get the baking done and the cooking and you're planning events with your family or trying to get all of your work done before Christmas comes so that you can actually take a break. Um, maybe you have exams or you're prepping for exams, whatever that looks like. You know, I love Christmas, but it's a bit chaotic, right? Uh, we all kind of come here and it's like, I don't know if I can focus because uh, my mind is on everything else that needs to be done this next week, right? We go to the mall, it's like, ah, I still got to get this person, this person, and this person a gift, and what do I get them? All of that kind of stuff, right? So it's a little bit chaotic, but I love that you guys are here this morning because I think it's really important to pause at this time of year and reflect on what does this season represent? What is this season all about? You know, we can get caught up in the traditions or we can just become blasé, kind of like, oh, it's Christmas again. You know, uh, it's funny because this this year it seems like um, I've had opportunities to preach around specific... um, specific holidays. So Palm Sunday or Mother's Day or today, and I'm kind of thinking, what do you, what do you say that's something new? I, I was thinking for myself, like in my own life, I've probably heard over a hundred like Christmas focused services. In Pastor Paul's life, I can't even imagine how many he's actually preached um, around Christmas, right? Because leading up to Christmas, it's that, that um, expectation. It's not that you're old, Pastor Paul. You've just been preaching a long time. <laughs> Patty's giving him a hard time. <laughs> um, but we, you know, like we always expect to hear something around or about Christmas around Christmas time, right? The, the Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, it, when I was in Bible college, all of the chapels were around Christmas. We've heard about the reason for the season and, and um, the greatest gift of all. We've heard about the shepherds in the field and their response. We've heard the angels. We've heard about the magi. We've heard about Mary's response, Joseph's part. You know, we've heard about the prophecies. We've heard all of these things. If you have ha- had any amount of time in church around Christmas, we've heard a lot of this stuff. And sometimes it becomes old hat. And I I, want to preface that I don't know if I'm going to have anything profound for you today, but God has actually been taking me on a profound journey. And it's actually been really cool because the past number of Christmases, just being honest, have been pretty dry. I don't know if I've just been tired, if I've just been busy with work and with school, or, or if I've just been not taking time enough to really reflect on what Christmas represents, but it's kind of been dry. And, and yet this year, as soon as Pastor Paul asked me to preach, it was like God started doing a new work in me. Now, it's funny, I'm going to share with you, <laughs> I have a Grinch side, like slash Scrooge side to me when it comes to Christmas. On one hand, I love it, but I hate Christmas music. Like, I'm just being honest. You know, Mark and the team did awesome this morning. They did incredible, so we can give them a round of applause. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it's funny because my mom absolutely loves Christmas music. My two sisters, my sister-in-law, it's like as soon as like November hits, it's like, let's bring out the Christmas music. And I'm like, no, please. You know, I get irritated of like everybody has to do their own rendition of Silent Night. And it's like, you don't have to do it Screamo style because it's silent night, you know, like, I just kind of am like, what is going on? And I, I kind of get tired about how, you know, at Christmas time, we're supposed to sing Christmas carols in church. And so we sing them, 
But it's all just because we know the words, and yet we forget to worship God through them. You know, I, I, I just kind of struggle with Christmas music. Maybe that's just me because I'm a Grinch. I don't know. But um, it's funny because when Pastor Paul asked me a couple weeks ago to preach, God started doing work in me, and it was through a Christmas carol. You know, I never watch music videos, but for some reason I saw this video posted online on Facebook probably. And I was like, ah, oh, what is this? And I clicked on it. And as I started to watch it, God started to do something in me. And so I'm going to play a little clip. Some of you may not like it, and I, I'm okay with that. Thanks for watching it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but we're just going to try this and see how it goes. I don't even know. Uh, you guys might have to take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> humoring me. Some of you I recognize may not enjoy that rendition of Drummer Boy, so um, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, it was interesting as I was watching this, God just started doing the work in me, like I said. And it brought new light to what the Christmas story is about. And, and it's this fable idea, this story about this little drummer boy who it seems was invited by the magi, by the wise men, to come and worship the king. They heard about this king, and they invited him and said, hey, let's go worship him. And he goes with these three wise men, and they, he sees that they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they offer these expensive gifts. But then the little drummer boy, he looks around and he recognizes, I'm just a poor boy. I don't have anything to give, but he realizes, I can give one thing. Can I play my drum for him? 
And he offers the one thing he has, a song to this king. And as I was reflecting on this, it was just like overwhelming me. Because it brings new light to who God is, what Christmas is about. Because the reality is, is that Christmas is not about me. It's not about what music I like. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the mall or all of this stuff. It's not about tradition and baking. It's all good stuff. But it's about Jesus. It's about our King. You know, sometimes we can come into Christmas and if we've been a Christian for a long time, it's just something old hat, (laughs) something that we're used to, but we can't ever get away from the basics. They're necessary. They're important in our lives. And that's what Jesus was bringing me back to this Christmas in the past couple of weeks. And and this morning, what I want to talk about is giving a gift of worship to God this this Christmas. You know, it's funny because at at Christmas time, we, we give gifts to everybody else. But have you noticed that it, Christmas is actually celebrating the birth of Jesus? And at birthdays, we usually give gifts to the person that we're celebrating their life, right? Which maybe the moms are like, hey, maybe the mom should get gifts because I brought the child into the world. But we give the gifts to the kids or to, to the person who we are celebrating, right? And, and it's kind of funny because at Christmas, we're celebrating Jesus' birth, but We don't give him a gift. We give everybody else gifts. But what are we giving our king? Are we celebrating his birth? That he came to earth. That he was born and he was laid in a manger. He was in this lowly estate. He came to earth. But we give everybody else gifts. And of course, we know that the reason we give gifts is because God gave the greatest gift of all, Jesus, his son. And we celebrate that by giving gifts to one another. But what would it look like this Christmas if we actually gave God a gift? If we actually celebrated Jesus' birth and gave him a gift And specifically, a gift of worship this Christmas. A gift of worship, because when I read the scriptures, when I read what the wise men did, what the shepherd's response was, even the angels, they gave a gift of worship. And I think that's what Jesus desires from us this Christmas, is a gift of worship. So I want to dive into what that looks like. If you want to flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew 2. And once again, you guys have heard this stuff. If you've been in a Christmas service... Even, even if you haven't, you probably know some of, the, some of the stories around Christmas. But I hope this morning, and I've just been praying that the Holy Spirit would, would reignite us and re-inspire us this morning and get us excited for Christmas. Not because of all of the traditions, but because of the reason, because of who Jesus is. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked... Well, actually, let's stop there. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So Magi, you know, a lot of times we think uh, we hear we three kings because of that Christmas carol, or we, we know them as wise men, that kind of thing. Um, realistically what they were like the word magi is kind of a persian word persian background and translated into hebrew it means astrologer and so they were kind of scientists from the east from persia um, in that area and their science was astrology they would study the stars they would look at the stars and one commentator talks about magi and he says um, that they believed that the affairs of history were reflected in the movements of the stars and other phenomena so herodotus said that the ruling 
rulers of the East commonly utilized the Magi's knowledge of astrology and dream interpretation to determine affairs of state. The Magi were, therefore, concerned with what the movement of the stars as signs might signify for the future affairs of history. Basically, if you remember the story of Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar and the dream, and he asked all of the wise men or advisors to come, that's what they were. They were basically astrologers, these scientists in way back, you know? And so that's who these magi were. It says that these magi came from the east, probably 1,700 kilometers, whether it was on donkey, camel, by foot, I have no idea. The scripture doesn't actually say. And we don't know how many there were. You know, throughout history, in like the first century or the third century, there's different traditions. Sometimes um, one person said there were seven Seven of them. Um, some, another tradition says there were 12 of them. We usually think of three because of the three gifts that were given. But we really don't know. Um, all we know is that these magi, a certain number of them, we don't know, came from the east. They came from Persia, 1,700 kilometers away, and they came to Jerusalem. And if we keep reading, we find out why they came. In verse 2, it says, And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. You know, it's, it's funny, because these magi probably weren't Jews. They probably were Gentiles from Persian background. And yet, what does it say? They said, We have come. Who, who is the one? Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. It seems as though, like another commentator says, that they appear to be sympathetic to the Jewish understanding of prophecy and fulfillment. And they combine this with their stargazing to make the astounding discovery of the birth of the Jewish Messiah. This excited them enough to mount an expedition to Jerusalem in hope of finding the child that they believed to be the fulfillment of prophecy. So here's these magi. They have been studying scripture. They have been watching the stars, stargazing and noticing changes and noticing this interesting star that has come up, that has risen, that is bright. And they, they recognize the king of the Jews must be born. We need to go and find him to worship him. The whole reason why they went on this crazy long expedition was to worship. They get to Jerusalem and they expect that this king of the Jews would be in the capital and they find King Herod and they ask, where is this baby who was born? The king of the Jews, where can we find him? Because we want to worship. The whole reason that they made the journey was to worship. Now, why would they worship him? You know, I, I start thinking about that. Why would the, these magi come to worship? And I think it's because they had prepared their hearts. They had been studying the scriptures. They weren't even Jewish, probably. But they were studying the scriptures, maybe from the exile. There were scriptures there. And they were pouring over them. And they were realizing, there's a king. There's a Messiah to be born. And they had been preparing their hearts and they had awaited. And they see the signs and they recognize he is here. We need to go and worship him. See, worship is not just a feeling. It's not just music. We know this usually. And yet it's funny because in Webster's Dictionary, it talks about how it is a feeling of adoration. But if we're a believer, we know that worship is so much more than just a feeling. 
We don't just base our worship on, oh, I had a really good sleep. I'm feeling pretty chipper today, so I'm going to worship my God. You know, like we know that it's so much more than that. We know that worship doesn't depend on where I'm at feeling wise because it depends on the one whom I worship and who he is. You know, the wise men, the magi found out who this child was and they came to worship him. Jesus says that true worshipers will worship the father in what? In spirit and in truth. Spirit, yes, it conjures up a lot of our senses, right? The, the entirety of who we are, but truth, that's more of a cognitive thing. It's more up here, the truth, the, the solid, the validity of who we worship. And where do we find that? I'll never get old. <laughs> you know, it comes from here. And I'll say it over and over again. We need to get into truth. We need to get into the scriptures to know who we are worshiping. Because if we're just basing it off of feelings, we probably won't worship. You know, the Magi hadn't even experienced God, but they knew who he was. They came to worship because of who he was. And they discovered that through scripture. Through pouring over it, and they, they saw this sign in the stars, and they came to worship. You know, what would it look like this Christmas to actually give a gift of worship because of who he is, because of who Jesus is? You know, and as I was reading, as I was prepping for, for today, um, just reading in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 about the Christmas story, this is who it says Jesus is. This is who he is. He, his name will be Jesus, Yeshua. He will save his people from their sins, the light. He is the revelation, faithful. He's king, he's ruler, he's shepherd. He's David's son, he's redeemer, redeemer, savior, Messiah, heavenly announced Christ, son of the most high, holy one, eternal king, horn of salvation, the rising sun that will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. He is the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. This is who Jesus is. If we've really took time to think about all of that stuff at Christmas, I think our worship would go deep. You know, meditation is not about clearing our minds. Biblical meditation is about filling our minds with scripture and dwelling on those things and letting us, letting it take us into deeper depths of worship to our king. Because when we know who God is, the only response is to worship him. To worship him in spirit and in truth. To think about what does it mean that Jesus' name means he will save his people from their sins. What does that mean for me today? God, what did that mean? What does that mean for tomorrow? What does that mean for the people around me? To dwell on one phrase about who Jesus is and it leads us into worship. This is who our God is. He's good. You know, the Magi came because of, they knew who he was. They had been preparing their hearts. They had studied the scriptures and they had traveled all this way. I'm sure on the way they were anticipating who this king was, who this baby was. They prepped themselves. They dove into truth. We can do the same. This Christmas, what would it look like to give a gift of worship because of who he is? You know, preparing our hearts to reflect on that. 
to dwell on that, to let the truth become real again. You know, it's taking time throughout the day to remember who he is and to praise him for that. That's why, we, that's why we spend time in the Word, right? It's not out of obligation to be a good Christian. The reason we set aside time to, to um, read the Bible and to pray and to worship, the reason we do that is not out of obligation, but it's setting aside time so that God can show up and speak to us, so that we can encounter the living God, so that we can have this relationship with Him, so that we can grow and experience Him. You know, last weekend I was coming back from the mountains and so I had like a two and a half hour drive and, and like I said, I don't like Christmas music, but God has been doing a work in me and I was like, I just, I, it's an attitude. It's not about me and I put on a Christmas album and as I started to listen, I started to sing and as I started to sing, this worship rose up in me because I was declaring who he was. You know, these Christmas carols, people who don't know Jesus sing them their entire lives. And I'm praying that this year, that as people are singing those words, that the reality and the truth would so hit them that they would say, I need to know who he is. I need to worship the king. But that goes for us too. That as we sing these Christmas carols this season, as we listen to them, rather than getting irritated if we don't like Christmas music like the Scrooge up here, you know, rather than getting irritated, letting the words become alive again and remembering what Jesus did. You know, we worship God because of who he is. But also throughout scripture, if you read, they praise God because of who he is, but also because of what he has done. So as I was reading and as I was praying and prepping for today, I I was just reading lots of different passages about worship and I came to Psalm 95. And it was so good in that I had to keep reading into Psalm 96 and then 97, 98, 99, 100, 102, 101. Like it just kept going and I was like, wow, God, you're so good. And the Psalms, those particular Psalms always start with who God is and how they will worship him because of who he is. But then it moves into what he has done. You know, there's two reasons why we can worship God, who he is and what he has done. Maybe this week, you guys can read one psalm a week or a day, Psalm 95, maybe even this evening, just to get our hearts into a right position of worship, a right attitude to worship our king this Christmas. You know, it's funny because as I look at the Magi, I'm challenged actually. Because they weren't covenant people. They weren't Jewish. They didn't have all of the history necessarily of their people walking with Yahweh, with God. They weren't anticipating in the same way. And yet they came to worship him based on the little bit that they knew who he was. We have an incredible advantage over the Magi. Because we're not just meeting Jesus as a child, as a toddler, In Bethlehem, no, we get to look back on 2,000 years and see how Jesus has transformed lives and changed people. We get to look back on how 33 years after the Christmas story, Jesus went to the cross. We get history to look back on what he has done. And if that doesn't lead us into worship, I don't know what will. You know, we know that, that God loved us so much that he gave the greatest gift of all, his own son, to come down in a human form 
Emmanuel, God with us, God in flesh. And why did he come? Because we were broken. Because sin had affected all of us. And what sin does, it separates us from God. We were created to have a relationship with the almighty God. And God is the source of life. So when you are separated from him, you are not fully alive. We can't be. Because God is the source of life. And God didn't want this to be the end. Because the consequences of that sin, of that separation, is death. And God didn't want that. So what did he do? He came himself and he dwelt among us he set up his tent with us he walked he knew the pain he knew the suffering he knew the temptation and yet he was sinless and 33 years old he set his face like a flint to go to jerusalem why to die to pay for our penalty the consequences that we were supposed to pay he came to die but we know that that's not the rest of the story either. We have an incredible advantage over the Magi because we know three days later, he rose again. And he's still living. He's still in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on our behalf. He has sent us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and to remind us of all the things that he's taught us, what he said. He has sent us the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to, to um, guide us, to give us power, to give us strength. You know, this is what our God has done. We get to worship him, not just because of who he is, because of what he's done as well. He has paid the penalty for our sins. That's what Christmas is about as well. He came to earth as a baby to die for you and me. If you don't know Jesus today, he loves you. <laughs> he came to show us that. It says that he was the exact representation of God the image of the invisible God. He came to show us who the Father was and that he is love. That's what Pastor Paul talked about last week. How we love because he first loved us. And he showed us that through Jesus. He's done so much. He's so good. He's worthy of our worship. You know, to remember what he has done, but if I can encourage us, not just remembering what he's done 2,000 years ago on the cross and rising again, but what has he done today? What is he doing in your life right now? To remember those things and to praise him and to worship him for those things. My family, we had um, a tradition growing up at Christmas and all of us kids hated it. Um, but now that I'm looking back, you know, when you're older, you're like, oh, my parents were pretty smart, you know? Um, and so I look back and when I was young, I just, yeah, didn't like it. But what we had to do, we would read the Christmas story and then we would go around and we would each say the highlight of the year or something that we're thankful for. And it was always kind of like, oh, I'm thankful for this, you know? But actually it's profound, when you think about what has God done this year that I want to give thanks for him, give thanks to him for that, you know, and to realize that and to remember it and to thank him. You know, we are supposed to, what does First Thessalonians 5 say, right? Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you, right? We're supposed to give thanks. And as we give thanks, we actually, it turns into worship. Last Monday at um, our Monday morning prayer time with our students, we were talking about cultivating worship in our lives and being thankful. And, and one of my students was like, Amy, it seems weird to actually like discipline ourselves to be thankful. That seems like static. It doesn't seem genuine. Like I don't get it. And I was like, that's really good. But you know what? Is it easy to give thanks? No, our natural tendency 
is to focus on the negative and to not even notice the things that we have been given. And so we need to discipline ourselves to give thanks to God. And as we do that, it becomes more and more habit and more natural part of who we are. And as we thank him, worship just rises up. You know, even recently, I think the last time I I preached, I had the opportunity to share about writing down the things that we're thankful for. And recently, that's what I've been doing a couple times a week, three, four times a week. I'll get out my journal and I'll number the things that God has given that I'm thankful for. It's as small as a hot chocolate. You know, it can be that small, that little, but to give thanks to God for the small things and the big things. You know, we have the opportunity to worship God, not only for who he is based on scripture, but for what he's done. What he's done at the manger, what he did at the cross, what he is going to do, and what he's done in our lives, even this week. So can I encourage us this Christmas to give a gift of worship for who he is and what he has done? Because he's good. He's done some incredible things. So these are the reasons why we can worship God. Who he is, what he's done. But what does worship look like? And there are vast and tons of different expressions of worship. But as we read, um, if we can skip forward to verse 9 and 10, this is what it says. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. How many of you guys have been on a really long road trip and you're just so excited to get to the place, your destination, because you're sick of your kids saying, are we there yet? Anybody have been there? Or, (laughs) you know, like I, yeah, we've been on some long road trips and sometimes it's like, is it ever going to end? And you're so excited when you get there. But I don't think that's the same overjoyed experience that the Magi were experiencing. I think actually what was going on is that they had been anticipating meeting the king. And they realized, we're finally here. We get to worship him. You know, I love those people who who buy gifts and and are just so excited to give it to people that as soon as they buy it, it's like, this is what I got you. I'm so excited to give it to you. And it's like a week or two before Christmas, right? And it's just awesome. It's that excitement. It's that joy. And I wonder if that's where the Magi were at. They were overjoyed that they finally get to meet the king, to worship him. You know, is that where we're at? Is that where our hard attitude is at this Christmas? Are we anticipating meeting with our king? Are we anticipating worshiping him and encountering him in a fresh way? I'll be the first to say sometimes... (laughs) In the past number of Christmases, I've not been there. I've been pretty blasé, maybe. But I don't want to be. Because it's not something just to be nonchalant about. It's the greatest thing ever. It's the great news. The angel, what did he say to the shepherds? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is the only thing that I can think of that would be good news of great joy for everybody who has ever lived, that our God became flesh. I don't want to be blasé this Christmas, so how do we come into Christmas with anticipation? Maybe you're just, maybe you're struggling. Maybe it's been a dry season. You know, those seasons happen, but ask God then. Ask God to reveal himself to you again, to make it new again. You know, I I don't think we can even worship God without the Holy Spirit working in us. 
So sometimes I, we, we pray, God, help me to want what you want. Because sometimes I know my nature and I don't want to do what God wants me to do. But God, give me the strength and the desire to even do that. Lord, give me the desire to even want to worship you. Give me the longing to encounter you again. Jesus, can you come and work in me again so that this Christmas, it's new, it's not old hat. It's a fresh, a fresh story. You know, ask him to show up because he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you seek me, you will find me. It's funny because the Magi, They were astrologers. In Deuteronomy 18, God forbid the Israelites to use astrology to try and figure out from the stars and from other divinations um, what the future would be. God said, that's not good. And yet, look what he does. He reveals himself to these astrologers who had been studying the scripture and looking at the stars. And he reveals himself to them so that they, Gentiles, could come and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They were seeking him, and he revealed himself. If we seek him, we will find him. If we look, we'll find him. If we knock, the door will be opened. If we draw near, he will draw near. This Christmas, can we give a gift of worship? Can we prepare our hearts by anticipating what he wants to do, how he wants to reveal himself to us this Christmas in a new way? Not in the same old way, but in a new way. You know, we worship God because of who he is and what he's done. Let's come to Christmas with anticipation of what he's going to do. Verse 11, uh, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. I'm challenged by the wise men, by these magi, because the house that the baby was in could have thrown them off and they could have doubted. They could have disbelieved and said, this cannot be the Messiah, the King, because look at the humble, lowly estate of this child. He does not deserve our worship. That's what they could have said, but their hearts were prepared. They were anticipating meeting the King and what was their response? They bowed down and they worshiped him. The only correct and appropriate response towards Jesus. They bow down and worship him. Well, what does bowing signify signifies humility humility on the out inside that's expressed on the outside and they bow before this this humble little baby who is the king of kings this christmas what what does it look like to maybe bow our hearts to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the father above not from our own hard work to recognize that our God is the greatest gift of all, to recognize that without Jesus, I am nothing, to recognize that if I'm stressed about something or something hasn't come to pass in my life yet, to give it up to him and to to trust him, to recognize that I'm not in control. I'm not sovereign, but God is. You know, I think that's humility, recognizing that God is in control and I'm not, and I keep it, everything, my life, in an open hand, in an open palm before God. What would that look like this Christmas? To offer, to offer a gift of worship like that. To bow down, to humble ourselves before God. Potentially physically, but definitely spiritually. To humble ourselves before the Lord. Because when we humble ourselves, that, great, that brings us to the greatest gift of worship. You know, the wise man, it, it keeps saying... 
it keeps going. It says, then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. They gave these expensive gifts to this child. And there's lots of different reasons that commentators talk about why these particular gifts. I don't know if it so much matters. I think what matters is that they gave what they had. You know, as I, as I listened to the little drummer boy and to that song, and as God was doing something in me, you know, the last verse, we didn't listen to it, but, but the second last verse starts out and says, um, shall I pray, play for you? Because the little drummer boy recognizes, I'm just a poor boy. I got nothing to give, but can I play for you on my drum? And the next verse says this, Mary nodded, the ox and lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. And then he smiled at me, at me and my drum. Here's the thing. God doesn't require an expensive gift. God doesn't require you to empty your pockets. He might ask that of you. I don't know. But gifts aren't just financial. In fact, I think actually the gift that he's looking for is our lives. He's looking for us. What do we have to offer? Offer ourselves. Just as he offered himself for us. To give our lives as a living sacrifice. That's what Romans 12 says, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's great mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable act of worship. We're called to offer our bodies, our entire lives to God. That means when it, when it talks about holy and pleasing, maybe there's something in our lives that we're living with that is not pleasing to God. Maybe there is sin that we need to confess so that we can have a right relationship with God and worship him in spirit and in truth, in freedom. I have a friend recently who said uh, she was living with some sin in her life and she just finally took care of it. And she said, I didn't even realize what I was missing out on. She was living with that sin and missing out on this beautiful, intimate relationship with God. Maybe we need to take care of sin this morning. Maybe we need to confess something so that we can have this right relationship, that holy and pleasing part. To offer our bodies, our our lives as living sacrifices. To give everything we are, our our families, our jobs, our, our everything our hobbies, our joys, our sorrows, to give it all to God and say, God, I give this to you as worship. You know, to go to the office and and to invite God into the mundane things of life and say, God, can you come with me? Can your presence dwell with me today as I work? And may it be worship to you. As I go to to school, as I'm doing homework, God, can you come and can you be present with me? And as I study, may it be worship to you. As I do my best, can it be a worshipful song to you? As As I interact with my coworkers or my friends, as I go to the gym, as I'm driving, whatever I'm doing, God, can you come and can it be worship to you? Can I offer this time to you as a living sacrifice? You know, that verse continues on and it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we renew our mind? Once again, it comes back to truth. To get into this, to know who God is. Know the truth about who he is. And as we put right things into our minds, right actions come out. Because what we think about becomes action. If I'm putting garbage in, if I'm listening to music or shows or whatever that is not wholesome, 
guess what's going to come out? But if I'm meditating on, filling my mind with scripture, with truth, with worship, with truth about who God is, what's going to come out? It's going to be worship. It's going to be wholesome. This Christmas, can we actually give a gift of worship that encapsulates all of who we are, our entire being, our lives? Can we give our lives to God this morning? So this morning, um, I'll have the worship team come out, and I want to put it into practice right now. You know, and worship is not just song. Worship is our entire lives, like we said. But I think we can start something now by worshiping him for who he is and dwelling on who he is, what he's done, and singing praise to him for that, and start this Christmas season like that. So if you guys want to stand, you know what? Yeah, stand up. We're going to sing a song. And if you guys want to come up here, if you need to worship God by actually physically bowing down, come up. If you want to come forward and worship, if you need to confess something, use this time. If you just need to sit and dwell on the words and thank God for who he is. If you want to thank God for what he's done in your life, even this week, let's worship God. Give our lives to him. I don't know what it looks like because worship is different for every person, but it's a call this Christmas to worship our king to worship our Savior. So let's sing.